Very good, very good. All right. Um, we are starting a new sermon series right now. And as you might have known, we talked about it. I sent you an email this week if you're in the, in the communication process. And, and it's based on uh, this book, uh, the Experience in God book. And so um, many of us have already been doing it. I personally started it in, I personally started this one in April. I know that Scott had started early on that, and other people, others of you have been doing it along the way. I know that some small groups have taken it. Our group is currently doing it. I know there's a group of you who made a small group, you know, some families who've just gotten together with their teenagers and stuff, and they're doing this study together. I know that this past Friday night, the uh, Tom Peluzzi and that group, they started it on Friday night. Um, I know that this Thursday morning, uh, Janice is Janice Buckley's women's uh, Bible study on Thursday morning is starting it. The following morning, on Friday morning, Cindy Newman's girls, ladies, women's, females study is starting it. And so, um, and so we're, we're, we're cycling it through the church quite a bit. Let me know, all right? And so we're, we're just getting it up and running right now. And so... Um, we're going to be doing it in Sunday morning service as well. It's just going to be a sermon series. And if you're not familiar with the book, basically the workbook is divided up into 12 sections. And, and each unit has five readings in it. Those readings take minimum probably 20 minutes, some weeks more, depending on uh, how thorough you are or how much he's asking of you in it. Um, and, and I'm curious really quick, how many of you are already doing this? I asked you recently about this. Would you stand up if you're already doing it, just so we can see you? Stand up if you're, already, if you're doing it or have done it in, the, in this course of the year. All right, good. Very good, very good. All right, that's fine. Thank you very much. So in this book, you know, there's a lot of things about it. Uh, a man wrote this. A man wrote this book. God kind of authored this book. And so in the context of that, you're going to find things and you're going to go, nuh-uh. No, that, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me. Well, that's absolutely right. You're going to find stuff like that. You'll find stuff like that in any book that is, is authored by a man. You're, you should find stuff like that by, when you hear stuff come out of my mouth on a Sunday morning. But in the course of that, you know, does, you know, he's talking about having a relationship with God. Is this book the last word in that? No, not at all. Is this book the only model that talks about how to have a relationship with God? No, not at all. No, not at all. Um, is Blackaby a right about everything, about the way that he picks up Scripture and applies it, or the way that he comes to a conclusion and he uses his musts, everythings, absolutelys? No, no, not really. Will God give you an assignment every time you hear from him? No, no, that's not going to happen either. Um, you know... Uh, one comment that I've heard is that, it, that, it has, that the books can set you up with a false expectation of what you should expect from God. In other words, that it's easy to think that if I don't have an experience like he portrays in the book, that it's me. It's my fault. And that shouldn't be the case either. That's not the case at all. Um, one could feel disappointment or discouragement if that's where they're coming from in this. But the study isn't about creating a walk with Christ that has the same experiences that Blackaby or anyone else that he talks about in this book has. That's not the case at all. Success from this study, if we do it right, means that you and I are closer to Christ. 
that we feel like we know him better. We know his voice better. We're not trying to mimic someone else's experience. We're not trying to mimic someone else's walk with the Lord. We're trying to grow in our walk. We're trying to grow in our relationship with him. We're trying to learn more about him, to be more obedient, and to be more intentional. The only disappointment that any one of us should feel about going through the the book and the exercises would be that if we come to a place in the book and we begin to sense God's leading and we choose not to do it. That should be disappointing to us. But the, 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 the fantastic thing about that is that God's grace extends to that. And while we often do not follow him when he leads, he always offers grace for that failure on our part. Always. 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 That is great news. And if that's part of what you learn as you go through the study and through the book, that's great stuff. That's what you were learning. That's how the book benefited you. With that being said, there is tons in this book that is beneficial and is helping a lot of people. Um, uh, um, Even this week in our small group, we had a fantastic discussion. And Betty Jo at one point just said, you know, he talks about having encounters with God. And and Betty said, I've found that every day now is an encounter with God because of what I'm learning and the way that I'm experiencing God's word. So let me look, let me just show you a few basic things about it. He has, um, that's what she said. There you go, it's in print. It makes it true. Um, Let me just show you, uh, these are the basic elements of the study that he, he has developed this little graphic for. And um, there are, are seven, are, uh, yeah, seven elements to his, his, his premise for this book. And number one of them, number one is that God is always at work around us. And so um, he, he, he uses the, the, the passage from John 15 that, you know, where he says, my father is always at work to this very day, is what Christ says. And so um, Blackaby is saying that for us to live a God-centered life is for us to be aware of what he's doing and be participating in that. The second premise is God pursues a loving, a continual loving relationship with you and I that is real and personal. And so that's step two right there. God pursues a continuing love relationship with you and I that is real and personal. And so there are many people, I think, that do doubt that that's true. And I know even the week that I was going through that, I was like going, I really need to know that this week and my own personal walk with him. That week, I was like going, I really need to know that's true today, soon. Come around the corner really fast. I need to hear from you. I need to know that's true. And so he, he's teaching upon that principle there. Another principle he talks about, and the third one right here, is that God invites us to become involved with him in his work. So he just, he just simply is saying that God is not wanting to work apart from us, but he chooses to want to work through us. The third principle he talks about is God speaks through the Bible, through the Holy Spirit, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself and his purpose and his ways. You see, that's right here. And so he's pulling instances about that from the scripture as well as from um, anecdotal stories 
to just prove that God is working in a variety of ways to speak to us and to draw us to himself and to, to clue us into when he's inviting us to work with him. And then number five, God's invitation for you to work with him always leads to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Now, the, I'm gonna, the, I can't wait till we get to this section because there is, a, there is currently a movie that is out that many of you probably have seen and all that has the best, the best illustration and I don't want to really talk about it right now, but I'm so excited about getting to use it that I'm going to tell you about it. So I would encourage you to maybe watch this movie, not for its theology. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Scott, my boss, I'm not telling this is true, all right? Don't tell my boss that I've preached this. It's that heaven is real story, which I've got more questions than I've got answers, all right? Let me just say that right now. I don't know if that little boy went up there or not. I do know this. When he comes to a place where as a pastor he's trying to figure out what heaven's really like, you see a great, great cinematic example of a crisis of faith. Do I really believe this is how God could work? We're gonna, and we're going to watch that together that day. Not the whole movie, don't worry about it. But we're going to watch that clip that day when we talk about this section. So maybe you want to watch it ahead of time to see what I'm talking about. But like... There are, and, and if you haven't experienced that yourself, I, I, I pray that you do. It's great to walk through that with him. About is it possible that this is really what God is about and asking of me? So, that's number five. His invitation also, I just, to see right there, he said, God's invitation for you will always lead. I don't, always? Come on, Henry. I think he does a lot, but I wouldn't say always, all right? Number six, you must make major adjustments to your life to join God in what he is doing. And so, in other words, he says here, God speaks, and when he speaks and invites you in, it often leads to a crisis of belief, and then we have to adjust our life to his. And basically what he's saying with that particular step is this, is typically we are on a path, we are on an agenda, we have a plan, we have a goal, and then God steps in and says, not that, this, you know. And, and a perfect illustration of that is the burning bush. You know, here is a, a murderer who's found a family on the backside of a desert who just wants to tend sheep for the rest of his life. And one day he encounters God, and God says, not that anymore, this now. And so in that, in that illustration, Moses had to adjust his life, his goals, his plans, what he thought was going to happen to what God had for him. And then... Um, the seventh one is you thus come to know God through experience as you obey him and accomplish his work through you. And I really, 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 and we've talked about that many times over here, that that is so true. That it is one thing to read about how God works in another person's life. It is absolutely another thing to see him do it in your life. It's very easy, maybe, maybe it's easy to talk convincingly that God did something in someone else's life. But when it does it in your life, you speak with a conviction and an absoluteness that you don't when you're just reading about it. And so that's really, really true. And so those are the seven premises that he works with. Um, today, I want us to just consider one, one statement that he makes in the very first unit. And that is this. He makes this comment in the very first unit. 
what is God's will for my life is not the right question. I think the proper question is what is God's will? What is God's will for my life is not the proper question. I think the proper question is what is God's will? Now, some of you have already done the study. You have to remain quiet. But, or you don't have to, but what do you think that he's driving at in that statement? How did you perceive it when you read it? Or even if you haven't read it, how do you perceive it even now? What is the, where is he going with that? What would you say about that? Cheryl? Thank you. That's the next slide. Thank you very much. Appreciate you. Let's just move right along. There, she saved us a whole bunch of time. That's exactly right. That's really exactly right. Because what he goes ahead in the very next thing, he says, once I know what God is doing, what his will is, then I know what I need to do. The focus needs to be on God, not my life. Well, isn't that just like us? God, what are you going to do with my life? My life. Here I am with my life. Here I am with my career. Here I am with my family. Here I am with my new car, my new house, my salary. Here I am with mine. It's mine, 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 mine. It's all about me. And he's saying that when we begin to ask God about his will, we begin to move from all about him to all about me to all about him. Yeah. So if we explore this question, what we find is usually the approach to God's will has to do with a destination as a goal. You know, because um, these people over here are saying, like, where am I going to go to college? You know? And then the people next to me are like going, what am I going to do when I get How am I going to pay for college? You know? And then the next group is like going, who am I going to marry? Or maybe they've already done that. But you see, everyone's looking down the road at what's next and they're saying, what's God's will for my life in this way? You know, and, and, and the, the, the attention is on some kind of destiny. The attention is out there. The attention is about the future. Now, God, uh, Jim Collins, in, in, in his, some of his business books, he calls it big, hairy, audacious goals, you know. God does give some of us big, hairy, audacious goals things to be thinking about way out there in the, in the vision. But when he does it, he does it in a uniquely kind of only the way God does it kind of way. So for instance, it, there's, no, there's no doubt in my mind that Abraham was given a big, hairy, audacious goal. Go, and I'm going to make you a great nation. But do you notice with that big goal, it wasn't the kind of thing where he said, look, this is what I'm going to have you do. Take I-95 when you hit Charlotte. Or, you know, and he didn't give him a road map. He didn't say, go 2,000 miles north when you get up there make a left. And then when you find the sea, that it's really a lake and there's a lot of salt in it, stop there, you know you're there. He didn't get those kind of details. He didn't get that kind of road map. The God of the universe, the one who knew the way there better than anyone else, didn't give any signs. He just said, go. And how did he finish it? Talk to me. To a place I will show you. And that's all he got. He didn't really get the destination. All he got was the next step. That's all he got. Hebrews 6, um, 11, 6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him, 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. To give us a roadmap, to give us a GPS, to give us that way out there kind of thing would fly in the face of that right there, which is his very character. What would happen? What would happen if he were to give you the destination? What would happen? Cindy? You would decide how you're going to get there. You would decide the route you're going to take, what it's going to cost, you know, where you'd stop along the way, how long you'd stay at each stop. Yeah, Judy? Then you'd take credit for doing it. Kate, I knew, I was looking at you a minute ago, waiting on you to talk to me. Kate? <laughs> Absolutely. You'd rationalize why that was the wrong place to go and there was a better place for you. Absolutely. That is so true. Dave? We would might say no? Yeah, if we knew. That's right. That's right. You know what? That is so true. Dave said that if we knew where we were going, we might say no. I'm, my personal reading right now, I'm doing an Ezekiel. And it's interesting to me that, that Ezekiel was told up front what was going to happen. You know, it's, he, basically he says to Ezekiel, I'm sending you to a stubborn, willful, rebellious people. And though, you, and though he says something like, um, and even if you are sitting among scorpions, and he just paints this terrible picture of what's going to happen, he goes, don't be afraid. Do not step away. Keep going forward. Yeah, I think that Ezekiel probably was unique among us. <laughs> he knew what the destination looked like. He knew when he got there it was going to be bad. He knew it wasn't going to be fun. And yet, he went. I don't think that um, I'm like that. I don't think I'm like that at all. I don't think many of us are. And that's why we don't get that kind of detail. Yeah, those are good, good observations. You remember a couple, three weeks ago, Martin Nichols in his speaking, he said, God has a job for you today. You remember? He put out a piece of paper. He said, just write down a piece of paper. Be as artsy as you can be. God has a job for you today. And you notice his emphasis was on today. Mark focused on the now, not the then. And I really believe that what Mark was saying to us was absolutely right and what we need to hear. That we need to be paying attention to the now. For instance, one of my, my heroes, Jim Elliott, I just spoke about him with you for two weeks ago, uh, and, and the influence of his life on me, and did you know that that means it's also influencing you? That's the way influence is. You know, that whatever influences you, you it spills out into others around you. And so this, you know, this martyred missionary's influence is now 50 years old and still affecting me and you. Well, one of the... He, he did not set out in his life to go and become a martyr. You know, he didn't set out in his life to leave behind a widow who would become, you know, a, a mentor to men and women for 50 years and write numerous books. He didn't set out to a destination. He set out on a journey. 
He was faithful the next step. It's interesting enough, around our house, Betty, Joe, and I, when it's, it gets really overwhelming, which is daily, um, you know, and you're not sure, like, everything you should be doing or, like, the right choice or there's too many requests or demands in papers degrade or whatever, our thing is always, we just say, just do the next thing. That's the mantra in the house. Just do the next thing. We, we heard that from Elizabeth Elliot. Betty heard it, and I don't know if it's she heard her speak it or she wrote it in one of her books. But it's just do the next thing. And even though we're talking about just like managing home, but really it's spiritual as well. It's just doing the next thing. It's not planning for what's happening a year from now. It's not planning even for what's happening at the end of the month. It's like, what does today hold for me that I need to be obedient in, that I need to pay attention to, that I need to put my intention and my, my energy into today? And be obedient in this moment because it's in today's obedience that tomorrow's gets built upon. It's in being obedient today that tomorrow's plan, that tomorrow's task, that God's will for tomorrow is based upon. It's in how well I know him tomorrow is dependent upon how I interact with him today. In this moment. I can remember vividly, vividly, when um, in the summer of 1978, 77, and I was a brand new Christian, and I was being mentored by older Christians. Some of them were just college guys, but they seemed like they'd been, they were a lot older, and they seemed like they'd known Christ a lot more. But then the primary person who was mentoring me was an, an adultish person. And I remember thinking, like, what will I be like? when I've been a Christian as long as them. And i got to tell you, I'm kind of disappointed <laughs> where I'm at. I thought it'd be really different. Just do the next thing. The, the, the spiritual life that we're called to, and I think that so much of what this book is going to do, it, it needs to make us wonder. It didn't need to make us wonder that how many opportunities in our day do we miss when we're more focused on what's out there than what is right in front of us. I have to say, Rosanna, my, my assistant there at the office, I mean, the one who runs the campus and the building, the church, Rosanna, um, she's great at, like, just paying attention to the moment. And so many times I'm in my office, like, going, I don't want to do that. I hear that coming through my door. I don't want to do that. And I watch the benefit of Rosanna paying attention to the moment breeding relationships, opportunities as they come through the door of our office. How many of us really see our walk, our daily walk like that? That the things that happen, that come across our our trail, come across our path during that day, are not intrusions. They're not getting in the way. They are the way. They are what's important. They are what we're about in that moment. In this first unit in experiencing God, he's encouraging us to pay attention to what God is, is doing each and every day. And he's encouraging us to relax on the questions of what I should be, a doctor, a missionary, a preacher, a forklift driver, whatever the case may be, and that God is really after a daily moment-by-moment experience with him and obedience to him. And really, the destination is not a place 
The goal is not really far out there. The goal is really the image of his son in our life. To be more like his son instead of pursuing and meeting certain goals out there. That unless your life goes to be more like Jesus. Another aspect of this unit that we can, is how we hear from God. You know, in 1 Kings, you know, 19, 11 through 14, Elijah is seeking God, and the passage goes through, and he says that there was a storm, but the Lord was not in it. And he says there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in it. And he says there was a fire, but the Lord was not in it. But then he says there was a gentle breeze, and he heard the Lord speak. Don't we often pay attention to the wrong things? Don't we often find that the storms and the earthquakes and the fires are what attract our attention and we overlook the gentle breeze and the whisper and the calmness of his spirit? Oh, we know that (laughs) there are times when he uses those means to turn our head but that's not always his choice that soft way is God's way we'd prefer neon lights wouldn't we we'd prefer bright lights we'd prefer step-by-step directions we'd love for God to be like Google and say go one quarter of a mile and turn left veer at the next light to the right approximately 100 feet and make a left. But that's not how God is. We are on a journey with him that is gentle and quiet and even silent at times. And that is his way. And his way is not about getting someplace. It's about getting someone. It's about us building faithfulness and intimacy and dependence upon him. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows that that slow and steady is what we need. And that is the skill of godly discernment and of knowing his voice and responding to it that helps us determine between daily demands in our life, between all the stuff that comes crashing at us and knowing what's next. It's like when we get to know his voice, when we get to know how he operates, we move from always doing the pragmatic, the common sense thing to doing the God thing. To doing the thing we would last think was the right thing. And that might be exactly what he's after. To know the difference between the good and the best, to know the difference between the good and the godly. And along this journey, God creates in us character that slowly changes from wanting a destination to wanting him. That's really what he's after. To change our desires from wanting all these other things to really only wanting him. So we, we don't want to be like Moses who argued with God about being asked to do something. We don't want to be like Gideon that gave God a multiple choice test before he was sure it was really God. We really much more want to be like Isaiah who when he heard, he just said, here I am. Excuse me. I'll go. Wouldn't we, we want to be like little Samuel who although he didn't know who it was who was talking to him, he was listening and responding every time he was just going to the wrong place. 
And ultimately, he went and responded rightly. Speak, for your servant is listening. God's will is not, is not for us to be something. It's not for us to be somewhere. Every journey has a destination. The Christian journey is not a place. Our destination is a person. Our journey is a person. God's will, God's will for me is to know him and to love him and to obey him with all my heart and with all my soul, and with all my mind. And that is what God is after. And so when we think about what is God's will for my life, well, God's will for my life is to know him and love him. And to just obey him in this day. We have to stop looking out there and start looking right here for him. And find that what he's after is not to where he's taking us, but who he's making us to be like, to be like Christ. That's what the first unit in this book begins to address. How we hear, how we respond. We want to be a people like that. And this book is helping us do that a little bit, sensitizing us. So, let's pray. Father, um, we confess that we are people of a destination. We confess that we are people of um, the when, the where, the how, of details. And you are a God of slow and steady. You are a God of faithfulness. You are a God who wants to build character instead of getting us somewhere. May we be people who realize that in our daily walk. May we be people who makes our destination and our goal to be like Jesus. And if in that course you take us to Ecuador to be a missionary martyr, may it be. And if that course takes us just to be a housewife in a suburban home to bring up children and be a light to a neighborhood, may it be. But it's not who and where we become. It's who we go with and what you make of us in that journey. May we be faithful to that. In your name we pray. Hey, listen, if you're a guest with us today, we would love for you to come downstairs. We have a reception. There's